0: Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Greetings and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher, also known as the Food Healer, and I'm really excited about today. I can't even tell you I'm freaking out here in the studio in Roberta's. I have Frank Grasso, who is a professor of psychology and the director of the Biomimetic and Cognitive Robotics Laboratory at Brooklyn College here with me in the studio, which is always super exciting. And we're talking about one of my favorite things, and it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. We're going to talk about octopus and how intelligent, intelligent they are, apparently more so than me at the moment. Um, I am thrilled about this topic. I've been wanting to do this for years, and Frank was kind enough after I tracked him down to come on in and talk to me about it. So, Frank, how are you today?
3: Great. It's great to be here, Celia.
2: I'm so excited about it. I can't even tell you. Like, I'm really, really so excited to learn about this. Um, I'm a big fan of octopus, and we'll get to that later. But I just want to know, Can we just start asking questions and talking about this?
3: Hey, I'm at your disposal.
2: I appreciate that. So I want to start out with basic questions about octopus because I don't think many of us really know. Like, what are they most closely related to? Well, they're,
3: they're kind of mollusk, which means okay. they're closely related to clams and snails and things like that. But they are just like clams and snails on steroids. They are just so much more sophisticated yeah. that it's really hard to see the resemblance. But at the cellular level, like at those really basic kind of things, yeah. they're the same kind of tissue, different from like us in terms of the basic tissues. But brains and bodies and the ability to manipulate the world, just astronomically bigger and much faster.
2: Wow. So, I mean, this is... I feel like really stupid about this, but is there any relation at all to spiders since they both have eight legs?
3: Yeah, no, there isn't a relation... Well, there's a relation for everything if you go far enough back, right? But uh, spiders, in fact, are remember the groups like arthropods and mm-hmm. they have hard outer shells right okay. and they're exoskeleton yeah. this the cool thing one of the really cool things about the cephalopods which are you know, octopuses cuttlefishes and squids uh-huh. they don't have any skeletons they're just soft they don't? tissue yeah no no skeleton well the cuttlefish has a cuttle bone but they don't uh, yeah. they don't use it like uh, like we do with our arms that have bones mm-hmm. in them mm-hmm. so arthropods have uh, you know skeletons on the outside and right. muscles to move things and then humans have bones on the inside with muscles around the outside to move their limbs and move them. I'm gesturing here in the studio, and nobody can see about how these things move. Right? Octopuses don't have any bones; they just have the muscle and some connective tissue, so they can just reshape themselves in any shape they want, within some limits. Yeah.
2: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, how long have they been around?
3: Well, the the uh, original uh, cephalopod, which mm-hmm. is that group that they belong to, goes back around five hundred and five million years. Wow! A long time before we were the twinkle a twinkle in the eye of, wow. of anything. And the first octopus itself goes back around 200 million years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They had, and they were full blown octopuses back then. It's really? been really exciting recently because a number of uh, fossils have been found. You know, it's difficult to have fossils of soft say, tissue, yeah. but they found them and they have suckers, they have the eyes, they in have way. the full blown everything that they need to have way back then. Again, before we were a twinkle in the eye of anything.
2: That's wild. I mean, you would think with just with evolution that they'd be different, you know?
3: Right, right. Well, they, there are a lot of different kinds of uh, of cephalopods. I mean, they're all over the ocean, yeah. And uh, you know, there are twenty five hundred different species. My God! And they all follow this basic kind of body plan. You know, soft parts, mm-hmm. big brains, mm-hmm. good senses, ability to interact with each other in the in the environment, really mm-hmm. complicated ways. Uh, there is evolution. There's a lot of variety. And I guess, you know, the idea that arthropods, there are many types of arthropods. Yeah. There's this famous quote about the arthropods, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a debate about evolution back in the 1800s. Uh-huh. And uh, um, uh, a cardinal asked defender of evolution, Huxley, he said, what has all your study of evolution led to in terms of your understanding about the mind of God? Mm. And the guy replies, he had an inordinate fondness for beetles. Because, of course, there are just so many species of beetles, right? Yeah, I always crack up when I hear that story, too. I think it's wonderful, right? So so there's a lot of species diversity out there yeah. in the world. And, and octopuses and cuttlefishes and, and nautiluses and all of these sort of cephalopod species mm-hmm. are incredibly understudied. They're incredibly complex. And uh, there's so much to be learned, which is why I, I study them in my laboratory and, yeah. and why uh, a handful of people around the world have been intensely studying them. There's just so much to learn. We know so much that's just amazing. It's just, just like a tantalizing little indication of yeah. what we can begin to learn.
2: Wow. Yeah. And so, are they literally all over the world?
3: So, um, they have a, a really important limitation, mm-hmm. and that is they're only in the ocean. Okay. So, if we look at, and, and they're found all around the world, they're found in the Arctic and Antarctic they are. Okay. oceans, they're found in the deep sea, they're found in the shallow ocean, mm-hmm. they're found in the Mediterranean, they're found in the Indian Ocean. Wow. They're found everywhere where there's seawater. But in you know in the history of our evolution, yeah. uh, the fishes made their way uh, into freshwater, yep. and then they made their way uh, from freshwater onto land, becoming mm-hmm. amphibians in the whole. But uh, octopuses and all, there are no freshwater cephalopods. And I'm I think, shocked, actually. Yeah, it really is surprising. And there's not a good scientific explanation for why. It's just an observation right now.
2: That's really interesting. I wonder if they can even survive in fresh water.
3: Well, they can't. And, and so, you know, it would, be, it would be... obviously. Would be, if yeah.
2: be in there, sorry. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. You know, like you put a freshwater fish into salt saltwater, it, it yeah, dies pretty done. quickly. And if you do the same thing with a saltwater fish in freshwater, it's, it's probably pointed to something. And, and I think, you know, if we're afraid of, uh, of intelligent species surpassing us, maybe it's a good thing that You're the cephalopods right. haven't found their way. <laughs> <laughs> to the threshold of terrestrial existence by going through the uh, freshwater route the way our ancestors did.
2: So quick, just simple, do all, I mean, I hate these broad questions for something that has, you know, 200, 2,500 different kinds or something like that, but do they all basically eat the same things? Oh,
3: you know, they they, they really are. Uh, a little diverse. Uh, there are the the nautiloids, mm-hmm. the nautiluses, which are just these beautiful animals They're that cool. we know that have a hard outer shell yeah. and black, brown, and white um, brown and white stripes. And um, they are detroitivores. They'll actually grab anything that's kind of loose on the ground mm-hmm. and stuff. But po- by and large, uh, the the cuttlefishes, the squids, and the octopuses are uh, predators. They will generally only take live prey. Okay. And that's probably part and parcel of why they're so smart, is being able to outsmart prey, uh, being able to hunt, being able to evade being captured. All those things put pressure on having big brains. True. And so um, they, they do tend to eat Things that move, but once you get into that, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there. I don't think, despite the octopus's garden, I don't think there are any <laughs> vegetarian octopuses. Um,
2: what about the cartoons, like back in the day, with the octopus that could like pull open the clamshell? Like, well, that's, that's true, I,
3: really. Oh yeah, they're cool. incredibly powerful, and um, they they uh, they can do that because they have these suckers on their mm-hmm. arms, and their arms are all muscle. And so wow. when they um, uh, the suckers attached to the clamshell. Uh, the clamshell is uh, is very, very rigidly held. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you a little bit more about how strong those, those suckers work. But the animals are capable of just ripping the thing open. Wow! But sometimes they come to a very, very big clam, which uh, will kind of resist them. And then mm-hmm. they have this interesting behavior that my friends... Um, Uh, My my friend Roland Anderson studied at the the aquarium in in Washington, in Seattle. They will actually grab the shell, and they're just very patient, Mm -hmm. and they will drill a hole through the shell with their beak right over where the adductor muscle is, the thing that holds the two valves of the clam together. And the thing that's cool about this is that they know exactly where to drill yeah. for each species in order to drill the hole so they have a minimum amount of effort. So they drill a hole and then they, they cut the adductor muscle or they inject a little venom in wow. which paralyzes it and then they can easily open up wow. the shell. Yeah, yeah.
2: So defense mechanisms for octopus. Is the ink thing like... is Oh, know?
3: yeah. They have a huge series of defense uh, mechanisms against predation huh. because uh, they're basically... I mean, I told you they don't have yeah. any exoskeletons. Yeah. They don't have any endoskeletons. They're basically... Just yummy, squishy bits of delicious protein yeah. swimming around in the ocean. So something that wanted to eat them, a big fish can just come and swallow them up. Mm-hmm. And a small fish might just take a chunk out and get something Oof. delicious and nutritious. Yeah. So they need to be able to protect themselves. Yeah. And so they they have a, a whole bunch of defenses. And the most, the most advanced one is just not being detectable mm. at all. And, uh, and this is kind of a lengthy bit, but they have a, what's called a chromatophore system, mm-hmm. which is a, a series of pigment globules inside of their skin, billions and billions of them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a little sack of blue ink, and okay. l- not ink, but a little sack of blue pigment, red pigment, yellow pigment, brown really? pigment, and so forth. And every one of them is controlled by a series of local muscles that are controlled by nerves. And so the muscle, the neuromuscular connections, the neurons that Mm -hmm. come out of the brain that connect to the muscles can pull. And here I am again gesturing in (laughs) in the studio. But you can imagine it was like a a little sack with some strings on it. And you just pulled those strings. And then it goes from being a little dot to being a a flat disk of of red pigment or blue pigment or yellow or green pigment. And they can control this with their brain. Oh, my God. So it's kind of like having a television screen, right, Yeah. built into your skin. And you can just tune in whatever colors uh, you want in layers. So you can mix together, you know, your, your green wow. and your blue or your, your yellow and your blue and you get wow. your green. They, they can do that. Uh, you know, with their with, with these these muscular systems, these chromatophore systems, they have.
2: But they can even do it on things like texture.
3: That's right. That's another. Let's come back to that because okay. I'm just answering your question about defense yeah, mechanisms. Queens. I'm sorry. I, it's okay. We got plenty of, plenty of things to talk about. We should have a second show. I We're want only it. 11 I'm already, minutes in. I know.
2: I'm already like Frankie coming back
3: now. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got eleven minutes. Twelve minutes in now, and we still we just so so uh, this incredible thing. Now the the animals can control that Mm -hmm. within a few milliseconds to actually completely transform uh, their their body. And the cool thing they do for defense is what's called crypsis. Mm -hmm. So their eyes can take in... Uh, the image of what's around them, okay, and then they can reshape, repaint their body with these chromatophores to match whatever they're on. They'll match wow. the texture, and so this is a this is one of the ways that they're really smart, right? Yeah. They're able to see the environment, and then somehow make a mental mapping that takes into account what the perspective of another organism viewing them would see, in order to arrange all of these chromatophores on their body to match the pattern and there are there are tons and tons of videos wow. uh, online you can go and you'll just be blown away they are not they are not photoshopped they are not fake these animals have an unbelievable uncanny capacity to look around the world and blend in and that's their they're one of their great defense it's amazing. mechanisms. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is.
2: So can they see color? Like, do we know this? Let, let's come
3: back to that, too. because okay, cool. there's, there's so a, many there's questions. There's so many things, and these things are so different, right, from what we— So, so the, the other part of the defense mechanism, the ink that mm-hmm. you told me about, there's a wonderful video um, that you can find that's just gone viral mm-hmm. uh, of, of an octopus— uh, being startled by my friend Roger Handlin, and Roger Handlin was a diver, and he approached this octopus mm-hmm. who was on a patch of a patch of uh, algae. Okay. Okay. So the thing is, the other thing you said is that that they can reshape their skin. Yeah. In this video, you can see not only do those those muscles control the chromatophores, there are ones that will reshape the surface of the skin to match the visual texture of the thing they're on. So this animal is on this patch of algae, which is like a clump, kind of like a bush, yeah. you know. And the animal is attached there, and you have no. Well, Looking at this, you have absolutely no clue that it's there. Wow! Right, and um, in terms of defense mechanisms, yeah. the you you go up and the algae is waving back and forth with the current. It's kind of brownish, yellowish, and there's all this little texture. And all of a sudden, the octopus when when Roger got close enough, the octopus comes up. A, the, Roger gets closer The octopus Turns itself To try to startle mm-hmm. And frighten uh, Roger into going That's a second Defense mechanism Because <laughs> nice. all of a sudden It's like this patch Of, of algae And suddenly It turns bright Bright gray. Oh, wow. Blue tints and a big black outline around its eye. Oh, wow. And, and that's kind of startling. Yeah, seriously. But, but Roger was, you know, ten times bigger than the octopus. Yeah. And so the octopus then uh, attempts to escape. Mm-hmm. And it swims as quickly as it can. And they can swim by jet propulsion. Yeah, so it fast. swims by drent propulsion away. And he squirts ink mm-hmm. into the face of Roger. and Roger's camera and so Roger's underwater camera catches this ink but that might be enough to be able to confuse a a predator trying to track the trajectory because that octopus remember in just a few milliseconds can match whatever background it needs to find so if it distracts with the cloud and then swims I don't know Ten yards away, yeah. and then just drops down and matches the bottom. Yeah, maybe the predator's eyes don't follow. It's a great defense mechanism, right? That's wild. They can avoid being eaten. This whole Crypsis thing and a series of strategies following well, following what we call Endler's uh, defensive strategies mm-hmm. for, for for predation, which we don't need to worry about right now. Sometimes the professor comes up more than the conversation. Hey, man, this is.
2: I am like loving this. Are you kidding? I'm all over this. It's like just keep talking, babe. This is great. It's. I mean, it's the type of thing with the octopus too that it's. I mean, I dove for years in the exact same reef, in the exact same beach, in the exact same ocean, to the point where I knew these reefs like the back of my hands. And I never saw an octopus, and now I know why, and I feel a lot better about it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you do have to go to places where there are reefs. We said, are they everywhere in the ocean? Yeah. And I said, yeah, but they're there are places like new york where mm-hmm. we actually don't have octopuses which is kind of
2: that's kind of sad
3: kind of sad, sad for me in particular because i have to get mine from other places yeah, uh, really. around the world and look. have them flown into my laboratory and so forth you just yeah. can't
2: like stick it in, you know go to the river with a little or not even the river i mean <laughs> go yeah. to coney island to pick some up those would be pretty freaky though sure i mean my god i don't <laughs> i don't know if you want to do that All right. Well, we are in an awesome discussion about octopus and intelligence. I'm talking to Frank Grasso. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in about a minute, minute and a half.
0: I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years, and plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an honor. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife Charlie started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. For you. The company now has an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's it's more than just a job, and, and obviously it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all, at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
2: And we are back. I am talking to Frank Grasso, and I'm totally freaking out, because octopus are amazing, and he knows all about them, because he's a professor of psychology and the director of the Biomimetic and Cognitive Robotics Laboratory at Brooklyn College. So, Frank, there's been tons of studies saying that octopi have DNA that isn't found on this planet. Can we talk about this?
3: Yeah, sure. Tell um, me what you think. So, so first of all, a little pedantic thing we have to do. This is like one of my missions in life. Please. They aren't octopi. Really? They're octopuses is the plural. Really? Yeah, I know. I, I, I feel kind of sad doing it, but on the other hand... Um, I got dinged so many times for it when I'm writing publications that, that yeah. Oh, so, man,
2: I thought I was being all classy here. So, so the re-
3: there's oh. a reason for this, right? Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's what you think, right? <laughs> the, the reason is, this has been like my mission life, one of my missions to explain this, is that it's a Greek word. Mm-hmm. And the plural in the Greek is with an ES. It's oh, octopuses. it is? Okay. If it had been a Latin word, it would have been octopi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, something you can all sound sophisticated for out in the listening uh, community. You can say octopuses, and you can do it in a gentle way so that people don't hate <laughs> octopuses and go out and Im- eat them immediately or something right? like that. Anyway, um, so this alien DNA business is, there haven't been tons of studies about that. There have been, there've been some suggestions uh, about that. And, and basically, it's kind of a logical problem. Mm-hmm. We would have to know about life on other planets in order to be able to compare that DNA and say, oh, yeah, this is an example of DNA, because the way that you decide— whether yeah. or not a bit of DNA is uh, something that you know as you compare it against the ones that you already know. Right, right. I think the really cool thing, and this was done, it's the really cool thing about this is there was recently the equivalent of an octopus genome project, and that's oh, how cool. we learned this stuff, where, we be, where people at the University of Chicago and other places mm-hmm. uh, began uh, sequencing uh, the octopus uh, genome. Wow. And they found... Not surprisingly, a huge number of surprises. Really? That's right. In terms of what they expected in terms of the Mm -hmm. DNA. And it, it isn't surprising that we would find things that don't match mm-hmm. our existing storehouse of DNA because we have focused so much on vertebrates and in particular totally. on humans. Totally, But you remember, we started out they, uh, talking, these animals split off from us 505 million years yeah. ago. It, it really isn't surprising that we find DNA that we don't recognize. That's a good point. Right? Simply because they've been evolving for 505 million years mm-hmm. without a common ancestor with us. Wow. Maybe even longer, come yeah. to think of it. I think one of my... my Biology, molecular biology colleagues might even slam me and say it's even farther back than that. But that number is big enough to impress us the fact that these animals have been evolving in different ways in a different environment for us. And actually, I think as an opportunity, it's showing us if this is DNA, if this evolved here on Earth, those are uh, repertoires of of ways of living that have been explored here on this planet Mm -hmm. that are... Unknown to us There are there discoveries there That might help us With pharmaceuticals yeah. That might help us With medicine All kinds of things Because DNA Can be recombined In all kinds of different ways So cool
2: yeah. It's just wild And then I mean you were, we were talking about there are so many different types of types of octopuses. Is there a certain species that scientists like to focus on in their studies?
3: So a lot of attention has been focused on um, a, a particular species in the Mediterranean, octopus vulgaris, mm-hmm. and that's because uh, in the 1870s, a fellow named Anton Dorn mm-hmm. founded a marine station in the Gulf of Naples, which became this in, in Italy, which became the center for mm-hmm. study of these of these uh, octopuses, and they're the ones that are ubiquitous there. Okay. So a majority of things that we hear about in terms of their, everything about them, their physiology, their intelligence, all of those things have come largely from this one species. Right, right. Because... There was this wonderful marine station totally. where British scientists loved to go in the British winter to be on the coast of Naples. <laughs> Worst
2: places to be,
3: and, like. and they just discovered all of this stuff. So for me, we work in the United States often with a species called Octopus bimaculoides. There mm-hmm. are there are others. It's the the two eye spot octopus by bimaculoides, oh, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, so there are possibilities that that these animals are smarter or dumber, and I'm using those words very loosely, than octopus vulgaris. The thing is, we haven't studied them Mm -hmm. as much but they are similar. There also is the Pacific giant octopus, which is a wonderful animal that grows up to be, you know, ninety kilograms and lives off the coast of British Columbia and Northern California, around Washington. And
2: like, how big is this thing physically?
3: It, uh, so, the, if you take a really big specimen, you can spread its arms out, you know, um, to maybe six, eight, maybe even ten feet. That's substantial. And and it's it, if you think about ripping apart that little clam. Oh my God! These things are so strong, and so powerful. Um, and the octopus by Myceloides that yeah. I talked about, they're probably, their their largest ones have a body that's about the size of a lemon. Okay. And their span would be maybe, the, if you stretch their arms out, they might be at, at largest, say, maybe three feet, but more likely they're in the range of two and a half feet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the octopus vulgaris is a... Uh, Closer to octopus bimaculoides, a little bigger. The largest ones might have heads the size of small grapefruits. Okay. Uh, I should say mantles, not heads. Okay. Uh, and uh, we also have the red octopus in, um, in in California as well. And then we have a whole bunch of really interesting species around the coast of uh, the Gulf of Mexico, where the oh, waters cool. are warm and there are lots of reefs and there were chances for speciation.
2: Yeah, yeah. And,
3: you know, all kinds of differences in character. and. When you ask your original question, do oh, we have a favorite species? Yeah. A lot of our attention has been focused on octopus vulgaris. Cool. Octopus uh, bimaculoides. And there's a, a great deal of, um, because they're so charismatic, um, the Pacific giant octopus gets a lot of attention in, in uh, Aquaria and so forth. Oh, okay. And also at places like Disneyland and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So that, op- that brings them um, into, you know, uh, access for researchers. I've studied the, them at... Uh, the Seattle Aquarium on oh, occasion because nice. they always have them there and stuff nice. and so forth uh, but the real point that I wanted to make about this is there's opportunities for everybody to learn from this because there are 2,500 species of cephalopods out there and yeah. we're studying three of them and there are probably I don't know at most at most hundred people in the world really? that are knowledgeable enough to be able to study them and with their resources, and I could probably count on my on my hand you know the number of people that are you know actively supported in, 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 in terms of uh, research funding and so forth
2: well i got to tell you it, it was it took a lot of time to find you. You know, it's really interesting because some, some animals, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll start researching an expert. And it's like, you know, a million people come up. And others, it's like there's two. Yeah. And octopus has been, I mean, this has been going on. I've been looking for someone now for about a year and a half. So I've, that's another reason. And I was one. right so here like, in Brooklyn. I know. Just down the street. Yeah, teach me. I'm sitting here like looking all over the world and like, you know, Australia, New Zealand and all these, you know, Africa and exotic locales. And it's like Brooklyn. It's like, Brooklyn, the center of the universe. I know. We have, right have everything Boston. here. Including yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pizza? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Roberta's, which we're going to eat shortly, which I'm excited about. So, little story: I was diving in St. Lucia a couple of years ago, and had this unbelievable experience. where I was snorkeling, and I was snorkeling. I wasn't. I wasn't in deep water. It was only about eight feet, and there was a cliff to my left, to my right, and so, and it, it wasn't like. You know, this wasn't like fantasy diving. This is like where the tourist goes. Like the reefs were sick and it was miserable. But still, we were out there. And I was snorkeling. I'm looking down. I look up and there's a little cuttlefish. He's probably four inches long right in front of me in my eyesight. And he's kind of like floating around like, ha. Then I look down again. I look back up. And then there's three of them. And they're equally spaced. And they're like literally on a horizontal line. So I was like, that's weird. And I look down again. I look up again. And then I realize that there is a line of these things like like a ruler, like a plumb line of cuttlefish as far as I could see. And I was like, this is really weird. And then I wound up turning around for some reason and they had all formed a circle around me and started flashing all these unbelievable colors. And I looked down again to make sure I wasn't going to hit anything. Looked back up and they're gone. And it was like one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever had. So for the listeners out there, if you guys have had any funky octopus experiences, please put them on the Animal Instinct page on Facebook because I'm dying to know about other people's experiences. But Frank, for you, is this something that's common? Like, does this happen? Sure. Let me also just say
3: say that if they actually there's an opportunity for everybody to be a naturalist with this. Mm-hmm. So the stories that they put out, uh, you know, if they put them on your web page, it might actually help uh, people to get a better understanding of these species. Oh, it's cool. collecting the naturalist kind of information.
2: Well, I'll give you the info. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so I think what we've talked about so far actually yeah. kind of sets the stage uh, for for your experience in terms of the chromatophore system. Totally. So, you know, we talked about the animals having these chromatophores in order to be able to hide, mm-hmm. but creatures like cuttlefish uh, and species of squid are social animals, and they actually have these characteristic high-contrast attention-grabbing patterns mm-hmm. that they can signal uh, to one another. And we know a fair bit about what they are and how repeatable they are and, and when they use them. Like, there's a zebra-stripe pattern oh, that cool. a male will use when he wants to look really sexy for a female, nice. right? Nice. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's black and white, it's very dramatic, and mm-hmm. look at how good I can do this yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So, Part of what you were talking about was was that, uh, is that they have a chromatophore system. They have that neural control over it, that they can control every single pixel, literally, on their body, all the different colors to produce a pattern. But the other thing is, like, why did they come up uh, to you? Yeah, totally. And and I think part of that is that these are intelligent creatures. Mm -hmm. And um, they are able to jet away from you very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, much faster than you could swim. So they probably assessed that you were in a threat and they were curious, right? Mm -hmm. And so they will cut, they come up like when you were in the water, were they all pointed towards you?
2: When they were all in a line, like to the to the vanishing point, they were all facing forward. Like they were all facing the exact like the guy in front of me was the leader, and it was kind of like they were all copying him. So the only time they ever looked at me was when I was surrounded by them. So
3: so they they, when that line is probably they're kind of as we say holding station along the edge of the reef. Mm. That's something that happens. Okay. But when they turn their attention to you, then they might have oriented their bodies towards you. Yeah. And that's because they weren't afraid of you, and they were curious. You may be the first person that they had seen, and certainly maybe your, your bathing suit or something had an interesting pattern on it, but they weren't afraid, and they were willing to investigate and go and, and learn. Now I'm speculating about yeah, yeah, yeah. what was in the, but that isn't uncharacteristic. I think it is a characteristic of these big-brained animals. That mm-hmm. They have curiosity and uh, they, they aren't uh, afraid to investigate things. So then, you know, they're, they're, the real question is, uh, when you were there in the water, were they signaling to you or were they signaling to each other?
2: That's the question. And at first I was like, oh, God, I'm like in a breeding territory, and they're pissed, you know? And I was like, I'm going to be attacked by like hundreds of cuttlefish in about five seconds. But there wasn't any fear. It wasn't like, oh, God, because I've experienced that underwater, and that's super fun. But it was just this, and it wasn't, like, I would love to say, like, it was this magical moment in terms of feeling and stuff. And, I mean, it was so quick. That it was unbelievably magical And it was amazing But it wasn't like While it was happening Like, oh my god Like, it took a while afterwards To be like, holy shit This just happened I was surrounded by a school of cuttlefish And they were super cool And changed colors And, I mean... You know, like I said, because I've got experience diving, I can usually track something easily. Hell no. I mean, they were just gone. I was like, did I just make this whole thing up? Like, I was really, for about five seconds, I was like, wait a second. Like, did I see this? You know, it was.
3: So you remember the story I told about Roger and the octopus, right? Yeah. Well, the same kind of thing probably happened to you. They, They jet propulsion. They can go very, very quickly. Yep. They can move very, very quickly away from you and then blend in. So when you saw just the one cuttlefish, they were probably all around Exactly,
2: exactly. And they just
3: blended in with good crypts. So cool. And then they came to investigate because they were, you know, not, they were curious. And then when it was time to go, they went away.
2: It's just wild. I mean, and then we were talking before the show about there's this, I don't know the octopus's name, but um, he was in a lab and across the hall from him was a fish tank. And... The octopus figured out his keeper's um, schedule. So, you know, the keeper would come in, feed the octopus, go feed the fish, la, 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 everything's fine. And then the scientists are discovering that there are fish missing. And they finally figured out that the octopus was actually climbing out of his tank, going across the hall, going into the other room, climbing up and eating these fish to the point where they actually had to put locks on the, on the tanks. Mm-hmm. I mean, this blows my mind, that they would even be willing to, like, get out of the water. I mean, is this something that happens all the time? Like, when you're researching this, is this kind of like one of these things where you're just researching, like, juvenile delinquents when you're not in the room?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, there's there's a bunch of really interesting parts to that story, and I know that that, that story very well. Uh It took place at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Oh, cool. And uh, we... Uh, have very good controls at Brooklyn uh, where we keep the animals inside of really like childproof, safe mm-hmm. uh, aquaria where they can't cut themselves or anything, but they're also like sealed in so that the animal just can't, yeah. uh, you know, get out because if it were to get out, it might not be able to get back in yeah, and exactly. hurt itself and that's that's, that's really bad. So um, at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, they had one of these Pacific giant octopuses. <laughs> oh, gonna, my God. It was a it big was, one doing this? It was a this? Pacific giant octopus. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so the story is a little bit more uh, detailed uh, than that in the sense that what was happening was these, they had a – Monterey Bay Aquarium is a beautiful, big yeah, place. Cool. Anybody who can visit it should go there. I love the wave tank there where you can watch the kelp forest go back and forth. It's beautiful. And all, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a magnificent with great displays. Mm-hmm. And they had a big tank which had salmon in it big salmon I'm holding my arms up again in the, in to show how big they That's are
2: big. How, like 4 or 5 feet
3: Yeah well I don't think my arms span 5 feet but uh, but yeah like they're they're big, That's big like the ones you'll see being thrown in um, Pike's Market yeah, in yeah, Seattle yeah. that that, yeah. that kind of size of fish and they were disappearing Oh my god and you know one two and they were literally there was no trace of them <laughs> And so so the night watchman was getting blamed because they oh, were watching no. it all through the day. And so the night watchman said, no, I'm not stealing. And he was afraid he was going to lose his job. Yeah, seriously. So he spent the night watching this tank. He stopped doing <laughs> his rounds this night, and he watched the tank. And uh, what he saw was an octopus come down from the ceiling. What? Yeah, down from the ceiling into the tank, grab a salmon, and then go back up into the ceiling. Okay, and it was a Pacific what? giant octopus. Yeah, one of those huge ones. So this animal it had uh, had uh, figured out how it could climb up out of its tank, which didn't have one of the BC. The BCR, that's my name, my lab's name, but Brooklyn College. Uh, Anti-escape tanks yeah. because yeah, yeah. it would be hard to keep a ninety kilogram animal into a I tank thought. anyway. But it would go up to the ceiling, push aside the ceiling tiles. No way. Then it could grab with its arms and suckers into the ceiling, pull itself up, and then it would crawl. This thing
2: is going to the ceiling.
3: Through, you know how there's that, <laughs> that space between, God. right? And so then it would go and it would go and lift the tile where it, it needed to go to get Unbelievable. into the tank, and then go back down. And then <laughs> yeah, would, yeah, I was just talking with a colleague uh, at dinner. Uh, a couple of nights ago and he didn't believe this either but it is documented and i know the people who are involved and 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 instead of thinking about how how much the octopus knows there's a really good set of explanations Mm -hmm. for this that have to do with their their natural history the fact that the animal can do this is is really amazing it's crazy so so the thing is the animal would take the food up into the uh (laughs) up into the ceiling space put the tile back in place and then it would it would the um, the salmon up there and then return to its tank. I
2: okay. kind of love him.
3: Now we yeah well it's an amazing animal for sure and and the thing is that um, that uh, you know the animal wasn't plotting to get yeah. away with a crime. This is uh, it doesn't animals tend not to eat near where they live mm-hmm. and it it wouldn't bring the food to its own tank and it's a nocturnal animal so it would naturally yeah, go yeah. hunting at night and uh, I think one of the really interesting. Cognitive things is How did it learn Where to be able to go We can imagine This animal may have Explored a lot Oh
2: my god In that Seriously. ceiling And gone anywhere Unreal
3: So so yeah So there's that There's that, uh, that story uh, uh, That is well, the one example, and there are similar examples in other other places, but not as dramatic as this one, in mar- other marine stations. It's
2: like Mission Impossible, you know? Yeah. It's like something out of, like, a 70s movie show
3: or something. But completely within the capabilities crazy. of these animals without thinking that, like, they're thinking about people or anything. Yeah, yeah. This is just an animal going and saying, oh, this is wonderful place where I can fish for salmon. Totally, and the and fish are great. Take the, take the <laughs> salmon out, eat them, and then go back and and so forth, yeah. It's so,
2: crazy. Yeah. So, like, what in your research, what are some of the things that have happened that have just, like... Like surprised you and like knocked your socks off. Hmm. hmm. Well, you know,
3: uh, I guess I've been telling all the really, really great stories that come from the field that, that aren't aren't my own my own work. And being a scientist, I tend to be a little more pedestrian, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So you know, we try to get uh, something we can test and test a hypothesis and so forth. Yeah. But um, we we did these studies where we would uh, put an octopus into uh, a tank where we had a Y maze inside of it that only its arms could reach into. Uh And um, it would not be able to see inside, so it had to explore with its arms to decide which side of the Y would have the reward on Mm. it and so forth. And so we would be able to film this through the tank and see how the animal explored. And um, the octopus didn't do it the same way you know, twice. Really? This is a surprising thing. The animal has 8 arms yeah. and it has suckers all along the length of its yeah. arms. So it once once it wants to reach in and grab that delicious little goodie it can do it left-handed. It can do it second left-handed, fourth right-handed, right. They tended to prefer their forward arms. And then they can use the tip of their arm or the base That's of their arm. Funny. And And there was really just this idea that the animal would learn where to go. But it had this complete flexibility in terms of the choice of the mode of doing it. And I guess maybe, quoting Zaphod of... Beeblebrox. You know Zephod Beeblebrox from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah, Galaxy, yeah, yeah. right? So, like, uh, plus 99 points for style. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right? Zero points for consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then like nobody was, they didn't know anybody was watching. It wasn't like he was showing off for yeah, other Yeah, exactly, octopuses. exactly. I'll, t- I'll tell you another, uh, one of those amazing facts that that people don't know that's uh, it's incredibly important in the study of octopuses. They only live a year. No way, seriously? Most of the species, they'll live a year, a year and a half. Pacific giant octopuses are big. They can live maybe four years. Some people say they may last up to six years. I'm shocked. But they go through this exponential uh, growth. They get all of this intelligence and all of this ability in a very, very short lifetime. Wow. Which is another reason why we should be really glad they didn't invade the lakes. Yeah,
2: no kidding, right? Because, uh,
3: you God. know, they are so smart. This yeah.
2: is like, I mean, I'm I'm blown away. I would have thought, I was waiting for it to, like, you know, like the giant octopus lived to be, like, 50 years. Like, I really was expecting at least a five to ten year. Like, it didn't even cross my mind that it would be less than 20 years. Right, right. Crazy.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: God, if they take over, we're screwed, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody would be really nice to octopus because they could really do some damage to us. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, I interviewed someone and I asked them how smart they thought an animal was. And they said that they're as smart as they need to be. In terms of octopus, I feel like it's, I, th- I feel like it's a fair question. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, how smart do you think these guys are after you've studied them?
3: So I think the, the person who interviewed gave you the, 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 the right kind of answer. I think answer. it's a great answer. Because we really don't have a yardstick for measuring octopus intelligence. Yeah. We're good at mu- measuring human intelligence. Yeah. But if we want to look at the success of the animal in in being able to have a really complex behavioral repertoire, mm-hmm. like a Swiss Army knife that's able to take out whatever tool it needs mm. in terms of its behavior, the octopus is is very, very smart. And we don't know the extent to which that is the flexibility of its body, like I illustrated with yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, the, the, Can you do solve the same problem in so many different ways, which, by the way, is what we do. We call yeah. that redundancy. So, like, if we're coming up to our uh, home and we've got two bags of, um, of groceries, Mm -hmm. uh, and our arms aren't free. We could, instead of using the doorknob, we could use our elbow to open it. We could use our knee. They just have many more degrees of freedom to be able to do that. So that intelligence might be because they have this incredibly flexible body that presents them with so many alternative solutions. But then the problem becomes, well, how do they choose amongst them? They have to be smart to be able to do that and to formulate those strategies. And then when we look at their behavior, we see that their choices evolve over time. There's just these tremendous learning capabilities that they have. Uh, for example, an octopus can learn to remove a jar lid from mm-hmm. a jar, right? Glass jar, ordinary screw-on lid. They can learn to remove that lid. Students in my lab are doing that right now, mm-hmm. studying how they they do that in preparation. But this is not a natural task for an octopus. Yeah, so back yeah. in evolutionary time, there were no jars for them totally. to open. Right? Back
2: in the day.
3: <laughs> but an animal that lives only a year... Yeah is capable of learning how to manipulate it's this crazy. object to achieve its goal. And it isn't like we train it to do it. Yeah. It isn't like, bad octopus, you didn't open the jar. Right, right, right. We just give it, and it, like that curiosity, it just works on the puzzle itself. It's until it gets at its goal. Now, we do bait the jar mm-hmm. with a delicious, yummy-looking crab. Fair enough. Which makes all the motivation yeah, that we seriously. need. Seriously. But that octopus will go, and it will try, and it will retry. You can go online, and you can find YouTube videos of this kind of stuff.
2: Like, how long does it normally take for one when it's like, you know, new octopus, new jar? We're talking weeks
3: no no um so some my one of my graduate students has been looking at this recently and and we're finding that the animals will do this in three or four days wow and and there's a range so i guess they're probably are relatively smart and relatively mm-hmm. dumb octopuses mm-hmm. some of them will do it really quickly mm-hmm. and some of them will take a few days to do it and these are still kind of mushy numbers yeah yeah but we do know that they can do it you know within a few days for sure it's
2: amazing God, this has gone so fast, Frank. I need you back here because this is like—I feel like I'm just teasing everyone, including myself. This is there's so much information to know about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm still like on my tiptoes listening to everyone. You know, it's you know? it's
3: great that you do this show to bring all this stuff out to the, to the community. You know, here in Brooklyn uh, thank and you. everything. Yeah, yeah, thank
2: you. I mean, for me, it's you know, I I'm a. Obviously a big, big fan of the animal world And I can't do rescue I'm not one of those people I'm way too thin-skinned And so this is my way of kind of helping out the animal kingdom By educating people And, you know, maybe making a fan of You know, a new octopus fan Of someone who's never liked them Or something like yeah. that So, you know, that's what I like to think
3: So, so can I just put a little Please. Uh, a bit in here About some, one of my favorite cephalopods A colleague of mine, Jennifer Basil mm-hmm. At Brooklyn College studies the other cephalopods The, the, the nautilus Cool And these animals have been fished almost to extinction for their shells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are inedible. They've been fished. No way. Really? Recently, she and other scientists have managed to get these animals listed with CITES, right? Awesome. Which is the the protection system. Awesome. And uh, this is a huge step forward because we're on the verge of losing uh, these species that could teach us so much in terms of the genetics we talked about, in terms of the behavior. We don't know how much we're losing in terms of the octopuses as well Mm. and all those other species, uh, like the cuttlefishes and the squids, Mm -hmm. because we're not in the water all the time observing them like you were. Right. And, um, we're just not in that position to observe. We don't know if we need to protect them. And so I think you raise this business, you know, that the the way that we judge this and I'm the way that we judge this is whether or not the fishing boats are bringing in fewer and fewer octopuses, but we don't know, you know, uh, well and since they what hide we're losing so in terms well, of species know. and we don't really know how to tell them apart.
2: That's the thing that I was wondering too about if they are endangered or not, but I mean, I, it's I mean this sounds hilarious, but it's like well they hide so well that who knows, you know. Exactly. <laughs> kind of exactly.
3: If you have somebody going out and trying to count them on the yeah. ocean bottom, you're going to be missing many of them or they just might not be there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we know. This has been crazy, man. So for anyone that's out there that wants to know more about this, are there any sites or books or things that you recommend?
3: Sure. Um, there was a, a kind of a high-end book called Cephalopod Cognition, which mm-hmm. just came out uh, this past year. Oh, I'm all over which it. Is, which is a uh, an, an academic book. Mm-hmm. But also Catherine Courage has published a really interesting book about about octopuses. That's a more public interest cool. type of book. Cool. And my, my friends Roland Anderson and Jennifer Mather just published a book on Octopus the Cell soft intelligence this was a few years ago Mm -hmm. the last two are really accessible public books and the other one is hardcore up to the minute
2: intelligence awesome great Frank, thank you so much. I have, I've had a blast. I'm so, I really have. really fun this for is, me, too, and guys, I'm looking forward great. to that pizza. Dude, you're getting pizza, and I'm, <laughs> I'm dragging you back here. We're doing this again. Even if you don't want to, I'll get you on the phone and just harass you until you're back in here. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody listening, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, next week I will not be here, so we'll be playing one of the greatest hits. I will be thinking of you guys from The Daily Show, so very excited. I've never been there. This is why. I'm sorry I love you guys, but, hey, I got free tickets, so I got to do this. I will be back in two weeks. Uh, Up until then, I hope you guys have a great time. Hope everything's good, and take care.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the Beating Heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.